But if we think about the Emancipation Proclamation and how, if you really think about it, it didn't cost America that much money-wise. It didn't, literally, it did not cost them that much money to free the slaves. Hey, I'm Jane, and you're listening to Pecan Twist. In this podcast, I'm going to be spilling all the interesting experience that I've had growing up half Indian, half Chinese. We'll discuss everything from identity, childhood, the Asian community, and so much more. Thank you so much for listening, and let's get started on today's episode. Hey guys, welcome back. Um, Today... I'm, if you notice that the mic quality is a little bit different or weird, which I don't think you will, but if you do, um, it's because I'm filming in a completely new location. I'm actually in my dorm and this is a brand new mic. And also I wasn't able to soundproof as well (laughs) because I'm not sitting in my closet. I'm just sitting in a room. Um, so just disclaimer, but None of that really matters. So today I wanted to talk to you guys about some important aspects of society that I was never really taught about growing up. Um, So I think a week from yesterday was Martin Luther King Day and my university has had a lot of programming in relation to that, so I've been going to, you know, when I can, like the seminars and webinars, and they read, they do like speech readings and all that kind of stuff. Um, so today's episode was actually inspired by a seminar that I went to about the words of Dr. King, I think it was called, and essentially what it was is they had, I think, three three or four, I don't know if the moderator was a professor, I think she was, but at least three um, black professors, and so they would read like an excerpt from Dr. King's speech, and then they would discuss it and dissect it, and I thought it was so interesting and fascinating. I just remember thinking, oh, I don't know if this webinar is going to be interesting. And then I was kind of doing work while listening. And then there came a point where I had to like put everything down and simply listen because it was just the, I guess, the epiphanies that (laughs) I'm just remembering last episode, but the, the things that they had to say and the the kind of revelations that they came to during that seminar was just, it's, in my opinion, it was totally astounding. So they really got my gears turning. I was thinking about it a lot during like my chemistry classes and through the rest of the day. And um, so I just wanted to come on here and talk to you guys about it a little bit. And I will link if I can, the recording of the live webinar. I don't know if it's available for students who don't go to my university, Um, but yeah, I will try so that you guys can watch it. So a lot of the stuff I'm going to say is related to that. Um, And it's like summary or just giving 
a point that they brought up and then kind of my take on it or my analysis. And I just want to say I'm by no means an expert on this at all. I am not a history major. I am not even black. But I think it is important that at least if I have this platform, I should talk about issues that affect all people of color. And the marginalization of black communities does affect all people of color, regardless of, you know, if you are black or if you're Asian or if you're Latinx, etc. Okay, so the first thing that I thought was really interesting is um, that they were talking about is the nature of wealth. So one of the professors, um, they were saying, I was they were saying, like, what is wealth? Why are some parts of society extremely wealthy and why are some impoverished? And something that they said really stuck with me, which is that all wealth comes at the expense of others. So no matter what, I think I was, I don't know if you guys know this already, but I was completely shocked to hear that because... Once you start thinking about it, it's completely true. Like, even starting from the days when there were slaves working on the plantation and the plantation owner and his family live in this grandiose house, you know, in the middle of the plantation. Obviously, it's clear in that point that, you know, the wealth comes from the expense of the slaves because they're being forced to, prov to provide free labor. Um, but then now, even if we look at, United States, um, we think, okay, like the CEOs of huge companies or everything like that, how, how is the wealthy wealthy? Well, they're wealthy because of the minimum, because they're paying these minimum wage workers to do manual labor jobs, or they're wealthy because they are outsourcing their um, business, what's the word, their business functions to India or China or third world countries that, again, it's cheaper. So even if it's not direct, I was totally shocked to think that it is completely true that wealth comes at the expense of someone else. Your wealth is probably from the expense of someone else. Um, and by this, I mean extreme wealth. So I'm not talking about people who are just doing okay or they're barely making it by. Even then, like, you're still better off than someone else. But um, it got to thinking about my life and how, you know, in America, doctors get paid a lot, um, a lot of money. And so I was like, yeah, they do, but at whose expense, you know? And I started to realize that it's essentially at the expense of the patients, unfortunately, both literally and metaphorically. Like, they are literally paying thousands of dollars to get medical care that, you know, someone argues should be entitled to them. And so although there is this kind of glamorized, glorified idea of being a doctor and being wealthy... I think you have to really ask yourself, like, at whose expense? At what expense am I getting all this? Am I living in this lavish mansion and having everything I need and more 
like, I don't know. I'm not wealthy, so I don't know. I mean, we're okay. And so I think, like, would there be some kind of guilt almost associated with that, knowing that, you know, your wealth is kind of dependent on other people's struggles? And then also they were talking about how in society and because of the black people who are impoverished, um, how do we like redistribute wealth in the United States? Because obviously there's a huge wealth gap. We see this, you know, why are there billion quadrillionaires? Well, that's because there's also people living in slums in America in the worst living conditions you can imagine. And then when we also look at that in terms of race, we can see that the vast majority of people who are living in those impoverished areas are people of color, immigrants, people with... Um, you know, backgrounds of slavery, so black people, majority, um, I would say, like, they were talking about in the webinar, Mexicans, even Appalachian white people, um, this is what Dr. Martin Luther King was saying, and so one of the professors said, well, that wealth could be redistributed if those loopholes for the extremely wealthy weren't there if they were actually paying their fair share of taxes. And I don't know much about the economy or the tax, you know, tax the wealthy, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't want to comment on that just because I'm not too informed. I don't think I'm informed enough. But that was just an interesting point that I thought was brought up. Um... But the one point that I wanted to talk about regarding that was how are the wealthy wealthy? Well, they're wealthy because of living wages, because there are people who are making one-tenth of what they make in an hour um, doing the work for them. So another question that, you know, got brought up eventually in this discussion was, okay, well, why isn't impoverism black impoverism in America getting more attention? Like, why aren't we talking about this? Why is it that when we think of a third world country, it's so easy for us to envision people living on the street, living in slums, living in huts? But why is it when we get to America, we have this idealized view of what the average life of an American looks like, when in reality, that could be very different from the actual life of an average American. Um, and so we, I think, and they also believe this, that we tend to ignore this as a society because of the fact that America is so affluent. In general, America is a wealthy country. We're a first world country. There's a lot of pride that surrounds like our constitution and the checks and balances and the way that we've been able to provide for the majority of our population that we almost create this romantic view of America and what it means to be American. Um, and in that, that comes with ignoring the side of people living in extreme poverty, especially people of color. 
Um, and so, you know, it got, it got me thinking, like, if we have people who are living in these conditions and they, but we are ignoring it, what are the consequences of this besides the obvious is besides the obvious which is that these people aren't getting tended to and nobody's well people are but not enough people are talking about it well the next consequence could be that if we don't address the flaws in the system in America then it can be kind of turning into this like self-blame if we portray America as being this perfect catch-all melting pot where everyone can be happy and everyone can thrive and everyone can prosper and achieve their dreams unconditionally, then that starts to be, you know, kids and adults, like we see this on TV and we're like, okay, well then why hasn't that happened for me? And then the issue comes of, oh, it's my fault. Like, it's my fault that I'm not in that situation. You know, I'm, I think of, like, a little girl in Chicago, a little black girl in Chicago thinking, oh, well, it's mommy and daddy's fault that we're not happy, that we're not living in this beautiful house that the girl who goes to school with me does, um, which is very, in my opinion, damaging because if we think about blaming ourselves or the people around us when in reality it's not that little girl's fault it's I would argue it's the system's fault and it's America's fault so going into that like why are they in this vicious cycle how can we reform and the biggest thing is investment right so investment in the black community and that was something talked about a lot during today's seminar um in a way i think if we think about you know when the slaves were freed writing the emancipation proclamation giving literal freedom to slaves to people who were once slaves but then they were given freedom to do what freedom to they didn't they weren't given any land any money so they were eventually essentially just given freedom to suffer again and i think dr king said that in his own um you know eloquent way but they're given they were given the freedom but not the tools you know they were given this quote-unquote freedom but what were they actually able to do with it i mean essentially they went back to their sharecropping, which is essentially slavery anyway. You know, obviously I'm generalizing, um, but I'm just trying to make my point across. Obviously there were exceptions on both ends. There were people who, black people who got out of that, and then there were those who weren't, and they were sharecroppers. And so I'm just trying to speak for the majority here. I know that there are many exceptions to this. Um... But if we think about the Emancipation Proclamation and how, if you really think about it, it didn't cost America that much, money-wise. It didn't, literally, it did not cost them that much money to free the slaves. 
Why is that? How do I know that? Well, look at the history. What did most of those slaves do when they were freed? Well, they went back to working the incredibly low wages. They went back to working little to no wages. They went to sharecropping. They went to work manual labor jobs. They literally, if we think about monetary, monetarily, that's not a word, money, (laughs) money wise is what I'm trying to say. Just in terms of literal cash flow, it did not, does not cost that much to change a sign from whites to colored to all. It doesn't cost that much to remove the segregated bus, the segregated signs on the bus. It doesn't cost that much in terms of money. I'm not talking about mental, you know, change because honestly that didn't even happen. Um, But now we're kind of at that point where in order to get rid of poverty, we as a country, I mean, I'm talking about like black poverty. We as a country need to invest actual money now. And there's no tiptoeing around that. The will of America needs to be that we invest cash into the black community into the slums into schools into the poorest parts of our nation and that is arguably much harder to do because it requires the will of the people and if we think about the will of america it has been split for ages it's been split there's been the people, the submissive people who kind of sat by during the civil rights movement, and then there's been the staunch advocates for black rights. Um, there's kind of this idea that they brought up was that theoretically America knows how to get rid of poverty, right? There are a few, I guess, means to this. You could say education is a really big one. Um, there are theories and ways to remove poverty, but I think, and even my the seminar I attended today um, solidified that we need to commit to doing it and commit to doing it for black people and gather that strength and will for the African-American community because it hasn't been done. The Emancipation Proclamation, it freed them literally from the bounds, but it didn't free anything else. It There's still so much injustice that, you know, I guess economically you could say the slaves have not been completely freed. If we look at the condition of a lot of black communities, we can see this this huge gap. And there's no other explanation other than slavery and the slaves were not treated properly, in my opinion, after they were quote-unquote freed. So another thing I wanted to talk about is 
how do how we as a country present poverty um and how we can kind of view people who are impoverished i touched on it a little bit earlier with the little girl in chicago example but i also want to talk about how kind of now we think of welfare people who are on welfare as being you know the poorest of the poor you need food from the government um but i think you know and i was one of the professors said something similar but why don't we start thinking about welfare as being through welfare also goes to the wealthy welfare goes through the wealthy goes to the wealthy through tax cuts um through loophole policies that allow huge companies to you know not pay their fair share and again I am generalizing I I hate to sound like a total anti you know anti company anti big business anti this anti that I don't want to come across as that way I'm just um all of this is very fresh in my mind so I just wanted to address that obviously I I don't think the wealthy do pay a lot of taxes. There are a lot of wealthy people who pay their fair share of taxes. Um, but it's just kind of that mindset that, again, we're blaming the poor for being poor. but And then we're praising the rich for being rich. But at what cost? Again, it always comes to that cost. It's kind of a pun because, you know, rich and poor and cost. But really at whose expense? Yeah, so that's a lot. That's ba- that's pretty much all I wanted to talk about today. It was a lot. This was a heavy episode. It's not it was not a personal blog. Um but I wanted to talk about this a little bit and r- right after I joined the seminar, I knew I had to talk about it on the podcast. But I would love to hear your guys' thoughts on this. Um if you have any. I just want to Again, I know I put a disclaimer, but I want to put another disclaimer that I am only a college student. I'm by no means an expert. I went to a few seminars and I've taken, you know, maybe one or two classes. I want to take more, though. Um, I just wanted to speak about my thoughts on this. This is not meant to be a political or economic statement in any way. It's just more to facilitate discussion. A lot of the things I said were my opinion and a lot of them were other people's opinions who that I agree with or other people's opinions that I just found intriguing. Um, So, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, Again, I will try to put the description, the link in the description box or whatever. Um, But, yeah, thank you so much for listening and I will see you guys next time. This is the end of today's episode. I'd like to give a thank you to my parents for supporting me in this somewhat ridiculous endeavor and for teaching me that every voice matters. And thank you so much for listening to this somewhat shitty podcast. You guys are the best and I'll see you next time.